What's up? Welcome back to the Project Tears podcast. I'm Kevin. And I'm Joe. And today we're going to talk about some projects that we have. Yes. And maybe some projects we've had. And what we have learned from those projects. Yes, and most importantly what we learned from the projects. Memories, fond memories. So if you saw our last one, we were sitting in, or you listened to our last one, I guess. Yeah. Uh, we were inside of our early 70s Volkswagen uh, Squareback station wagon. Today, Joe, where are we? We are coming to you from the echoey chambers <laughs> of the cabin of a 1973 Triumph GT6. Sweet uh, barn-esque find with uh, two liters straight six, um, four-speed manual, independent rear end, front disc brake rack and pinion steering. Um, it's got some sweet patina. It's been yeah, em it's... embellished with lots of uh, unknown fecal matter. Um, <laughs> carpet's a little tattery. I don't even know if this thing will ever see the road, but it's fun to look at, and we crammed ourselves in here. Yeah, I am, I am no small man. Joe is a very tall man, and uh, we're, we're stuck in here. I am halfway out the window, but we're in. So. Yeah. Probably my favorite thing about these cars is if you put your armpit on the top of the door, that. you can actually touch the ground. Yeah. Now, this is on four flat tires, but I've had cars like this on the road before, and the case is still the same when you have air in the tires. Um, you do sit incredibly low to the ground, and where this one actually has a roof on it. Um, I think the benefit I have is I'm wiry, yeah. <laughs> so I can kind of get in this, but they're definitely cramped. I um, fold myself in half and get stuffed in there like the Pillsbury Doughboy, but uh, I got in here. Yeah. And when I get out, I just fall out. Like, there's no hope. Yeah. But. So, as previously discussed, and I think we mentioned it in our last video, like, uh, I think we both each mentioned our first project cars, but I guess we could kind of uh, maybe start off with those and. That's a good starting point. Yeah. Kind of go through a, a list of. We we will we'll, we'll visit the the roster of current um, projects in possession right now, and then um, as the conversation dictates, we may meander outside of those parameters. But do you want to kick it off? So your first project sure. was I, I, I hit it on it pretty good in the last episode. But my first car that was my car that I could say was my car was also what I would consider a project car because we towed it out of a guy's garage where it did not run and it had to be put together. So that was my 1968 Pontiac Le Mans. Um, for me, it was a really good project car to cut your teeth on because it needed some stuff, but it didn't need all the stuff, right? All the bits were there. It just had to be put together. Um, and so for somebody just getting into building a car, it was good. It's not something I could got in and drove to work the next day, right? So it was, it was by my definition, a project car. Um, you know, and it, it didn't take a lot to get it going, um, but it definitely took some work, you know, to get it back together. And after it was on the road, like it was something we continued working on, uh, me and my dad, and, you know, continue to kind of make better. We didn't really ever get anything crazy on it because I was a high school student. I didn't have money. It was, you know, what I could do on the cheap and, uh, and it was just fun. So, so that was my first project car. Also my first car, um, that I kind of cut my teeth on in the project world that kind of probably gave me the, you know, the desire to, to have more project cars and, and to have a car that was a little bit more unique than what anybody else had. Because, yes. fun fact, it's in a book, and when we hit later, I want to go in-depth on that car later, but 
my dad has a book called Cars of the Sizzling 60s. Uh-huh. And in that book, I remember at one point seeing like the actual production numbers of that car and it was it was lower than like the GTO judge and like the GTOs oh, so and like your average so it's like British super car. <laughs> exactly <laughs> super rare also super not desirable because it's yeah. a four door so yeah. again that goes back to my just because it's rare doesn't mean it's actually worth it's, anything it's but to me it was it was wonderful so how about you uh I it's previously mentioned sixty seven Triumph Spitfire um it was well, by all intents and purposes a project car um. I believe my dad described it to me as like the Mustang of England. So like in my <laughs> mind, I pictured a Mustang. Yeah. And so I was all jazzed about it. And uh, it was a guy my dad knew his uncle had died and he was had started restoring it at some point in the process. So like the motor was allegedly rebuilt, but it literally, I mean, a Triumph Spitfire is only like four foot by like 11 feet long. Um, they're teeny cars to begin with. It's a convertible. It was like up to the brim with dead leaves under a tree out in the middle of nowhere. We paid a hundred bucks for it, hauled it back, and like I could tell like my dad enjoyed the thrill of the acquisition, but in retrospect, like looking at it, I've always thought like I think at that point it was like, well, it was kind of a waste of a hundred bucks. Um so some like, certain Volkswagen. I'm like super jazzed and like I clean it out and I'm puttering with it and we we very quickly started moving towards talking about trading it off for like a flat fender jeep or even a mustang and um anyway that back to the cutting the teeth thing like those cars are there because they're so small they are hyper simple i mean rack and pinion steering front engine rear wheel drive um there's no power anything in them and the other neat thing is the whole nose tips up when you pop the hood so you have all the access to everything you need and so I you know I was like 15 I knew nothing about cars like literally that was the in Joe's encyclopedia of automotive education in and of itself and uh, like long story short I ended up cleaning out the inside and I had an old couch cushion in it and in a couple weeks I figured out how to bleed the clutch and my dad showed me how to bleed the brakes and we got it running, and I would drive laps around the backyard. And I guess after my dad saw that, he decided that, okay, he'd let me keep it, you know, and we, nice. we would pursue it. Um, we got it fixed up. I drove it a little bit in high school, and the motor had been gone through, but I think some stuff had been left loose or put backwards because <laughs> after about six months, the thing smoked worse than a diesel. And uh, anyway, it's been through many iterations. I still have it. In fact, we unloaded it off a trailer today, and... Uh, I, I, I think I'm still very much just as enamored by it now as I was back then. And, you know, that that kind of goes back to, I mean, at one point in time, it was all painted and everything. And I've driven it in different phases of life. But, like, it's kind of the eternal project car, I guess, so, in my mind. Right. I was going to say, that would be my scout. But I, how much do you think you've got money-wise into the, the Spitfire? Do you have a lot? That, Has it been pretty... That is a really good point, because I was talking to somebody about that yesterday, in fact. Um, I think I'm still, and we're on the third motor and everything, my dad would probably be a better uh, person to talk to that about, because you know he probably threw more money at it earlier. But like me personally, I bet I'm less than a thousand bucks into it. Really? I've, I've had the car for 20 years, so... See, and so that'll lead me to the Scout, because it is my eternal project, right? So I've got to have a 67 International Scout 800. Um, I, I bought it. So when me and my wife first got married, I was working it at the off-road shop, and I wanted an off-roader. I wanted a rock crawler. 
I like classic cars, my wife likes classic cars, so we start talking, and she wants a Bronco. Well, you look at prices of Broncos. He he made a good choice there. (laughs) You look at the price of a Bronco, and like, I couldn't afford that, you know? And I was like, what am I going to do? And my good buddy at the time was also working there. was like, what about a Scout? And I I had honestly never even heard of a Scout. I'm like, what are you talking about? So he started showing me pictures of International Scouts, and I was like, hey, that looks like a Bronco. Like now, yeah. being like, I'm like, no, it's not, blah, 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 blah. They were around before you. Broncos, right? But like at the time, I was like, yeah, it's a Bronco. And I started looking them up, and they're cheap. Yeah. You know, you could acquire. I got mine for, I. it's been a while, but I think it was 800 bucks when I got it. It did, quote, unquote, run. Not great, but it, you know, we put, drove it onto the trailer. It needed brake help. Um, and that became my project, right? That was like my first married life. Like I'm going to invest money. I'm going to make something that's no, yeah. this more. I mean, it, it ran, but it didn't run. Right. And, and it's, yeah. So I'm like 10 years into it now, honestly, like when we first got after it, I got really after it. I'm, <laughs> I'm five digits deep into that thing yeah. and I have driven it a total of not even a well, maybe two blocks. Like I drove it down to the end of my block once and back. And when I was at Fat Bob's, I drove it down at the end of the road and the fuel pump got clogged up with crap that was in the fuel tank. And then I pushed it back to the garage (laughs) and that's it. I've had the thing for 10 years. I'm thousands and thousands of dollars deep into it. So again, I want to go into it in depth in another another episode, but um, it has an engine swap. It has new axles, the whole drivetrain. The only thing that's left on this International Scout is the frame and the body and the in, most of the interior, right? Yeah. Um, but that, so the things I've learned from the Scout um, is basically stay applied to it. Like, it, it was fun at first. I had a great time. At first, yeah. I made crazy amounts of progress. I took the body off, right? I, I did, you know, we sanded the frame down. I primed the whole frame, painted the frame. Like, I did a lot. I cut all the suspension off, the three link coilovers, like just threw money at it and threw time at it. And then it got hard because if you remember, you yeah. were with me, the engine yeah. refused to run because yeah. of some stupid, it's a Toyota engine, spoiler alert. Yeah. And also <laughs> spoiler alert, a Toyota engine will not start if the intake tube is not hooked up. Yeah. I had the mass airflow sensor hooked up. I had everything hooked up, but I didn't have the tube between the mass airflow sensor and the engine. And I bet... We spent. It, it took a while to chase that months chasing that, and finally I called the buddy that did it, and he's like, "How's the scout?" And I'm like, "Dude, I hate it. I'm so sick of it." This was going on. He's like, "Well, is your intake hooked up?" I'm like, "What do you mean is my intake hooked up?" Yeah. When I hooked it up, super thing fired up. Like after it was, I was so pissed, and I think that kind of gave me a a bad taste in my mouth. Now there's something else with it, that being like the first full blown like swap everything out Crazy that I had ever yeah. done. Is like there is a part of me that's afraid. I'll admit it. There's a part of me that's afraid to drive it. I'm afraid that like because everything's gonna be wrong. <laughs> right. That that once like all this time, all this effort gets into it, I'm gonna get in it and be disappointed. And so my current solution is just leave it alone. Just ignore it. <laughs> that's that's the best way to like. There's some project to life advice. The best way to deal with the problem is to ignore the problem. So so I guess that's the thing I learned in the scout is like you got to keep yourself applied to it, right? Yep. You've got to get over it, you know, and I'm, then I started buying other projects and I, you know, then kids came along and, you know, when I bought this thing, it's a half cab scout. It's only got two seats, yep. you know, and that's like, I had bought it with intent of like me and my wife cruising this thing around, going to Moab, doing whatever with it. Now I've got three kids, like, <laughs> you know, build a, build a trailer to put them <laughs> yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, 
it's something I probably will never get rid of because one, I'm more money into it than it's ever going to be worth. And two, like I, there is a sentimental value to it. Um, there may come a point in life, I guess, like, I don't think there will, but there may come a point in life. I'm like, yeah, whatever, fine. Give me a thousand bucks, like just cut my losses and move on. But, but I like it too much. Like, yeah, you know, and they've been popping up more and more in, you know, the, the, some of the higher end shows yeah, and the automotive guys been building them and they're definitely becoming more prevalent. And I think that like, back to your point about the, the Bronco thing, I think they are again being recognized as an alternative to a Bronco because like the Bronco market's gotten so crazy that like a lot of people, myself and my wife is a Bronco fan too. Like a lot of people get priced out of the market. So you start looking at alternatives. Did we lose our GoPro? We oh, well, so, um, Anyway, you're talking about your wife and the Bronco. Yeah, just like, I think that's why, like, you've seen a resurgence of Scout is is the availability element of it, right? Right. Um, And I, I, if you look back 10 years, like, muscle cars were huge. And I think now that market kind of got, ran its gamut, as it were. And, you know, like the other tangents, no, other my brain's totally adrenaline. like the other cars or yeah just other genres genres there, there we go other genres of automobiles old cars have kind of had their resurgence i mean that and that that hits on a good point too with like so one of our friends made made fun of us once because i when we, i think it was when we posted up either it was either the volkswagen or the bmw yes and he's like enough of these european cars blah 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 yeah my current problem is like i love muscle cars right my dream car is like a 68 charger right i love them if i could build a car with no money involved like have the car show car that does with oh, yeah. burnouts that would be the car but you can't touch one of those for, oh yeah you know they're just crazy amounts of money and so, like, I, I mean, I get on, and like we talked about, we look and look and look. And, yep. and every time I start looking at the old American cars, like, you're paying 2000 bucks for a rusty shell. Yes. You know, and it's, there's so much work and so much money that has to be put into them to make them run. Like, when I, when we could, the Volkswagen was 100 bucks. you know. Yeah. The, the BMW, which, here's my argument for that. It was a <laughs> six-speed manual transmission, uh, a V8, yeah. a four-liter V8, uh, rear-wheel drive, and had a posse had you know sports seats in it. It had yep. all the the the, the go fast the, bits. Yeah, the check <laughs> right, the check marks, like all the yeah. things to be a muscle car. Other than it's a ninety five BMW. Yep. Right, but I we got that for five hundred bucks, and yeah. like it's rolled. Feel bad about that, yeah. You know, and and so it's when you're getting into projects if, and and budget minded like we are, like yeah, you may not first be hitting on the muscle cars unless you have a really good in or you know somebody or somebody's you know your family members had one sitting in the garage forever, but. Yep. Well, and I, I'm very much one of the mind that, like, I like to be quasi-unique or go down the road less traveled. So when it comes to, like, muscle cars, like, there's never been a part of me that's like, ooh, I need a, you know, 69 Camaro or something like that, right? right? Um, so for me, it's almost more fun to have something obscure. And I think the other thing, too, is it, it provides some kind of insulation between... You know, self-proclaimed experts in you know performance <laughs> yep, and whatever. I get that. Because it's like you know, if I have a, like a modified Triumph Spitfire, number one, I'm never going to pull up to a stoplight and have another car of that type or that level of modification sitting across the stoplight from me. And number two, I'm probably never going to run across anybody that is going to give me an earful about how they 
have built or gone and done and whatever and better and better and better stuff. You know, it's like there's hardly any of those things around. Half the people that see it don't even know what it is. And most of the people that have owned them haven't, you know, gone and modified it or anything. So there is that, like, unique element of it that I, I gravitate towards with the projects. Yeah, too. I fully agree with that. And it, to me, it's almost validation when people are like, oh, like, why don't you pick uh, something more traditional? And it's like, but that's the magic of some of these, you know, European cars would be a good example because a lot of them are so obscure and less, I hate to use the word traditional, but less um, popular, we'll say. Because, like, in the 60s, obviously, like, the U.S. was, like, the biggest export market for a lot of those European manufacturers. And so, you know, I think over the years you know, consensus preferences allowed a lot of these cars to go by the wayside or get scrapped. I mean, I've scrapped half a dozen Triumphs in my life. Yeah. Do I regret those decisions? Absolutely. But, <laughs> I mean, it happens. I mean, but like, in all honesty, though, like, it's, to me, that's that's one element of it that I'm very fascinated with is, you know, the fact that even one sitting in a, a somebody's backyard like this GT6 is, right. like, it is a bit of a unicorn in and of itself. Um let alone one that's on the road. Um, so that just adds to the, the fun of yeah, that, no, that it is. It's like, genre of car. Because like one of the scout was out front of, of, of the oh, out yeah. front shop. Like people come in and it was always friendly conversation. It was never like, but you know, you see somebody pull up in a, a done up, you know, like you're saying, like a Camaro or like a done up car and, and so everybody has an opinion on it. It's like, yep. oh, why do they do this? Why are they oh, running yeah. those wheels? Why haven't they done this? And that, you know, but in the scout, it's like, whoa, cool, you've got a scout. Like, yeah. And that's the end. It's it, just it, happy to be there. <laughs> yeah. And it, nobody formed, I mean, I have, maybe they do when I tell them I have a Toyota motor in it. Yeah, but, yeah. But anyway, going back to our projects. Yes. So my, my Pontiac, my scout, your Spitfire, what else you got? So let's see, we'll do the short list. Uh, 1961 Land Rover. Um, 108, I believe. It's a long wheelbase wagon. It actually has a 68 Mustang 289 in it currently. And then stock Land Rover stuff everywhere Have you else. driven that farther than I've driven the Scout? I've probably driven it as far as I've driven the Scout. <laughs> at the same off-road shop, in fact. Um, I had it out there for a bit, rebuilt the transfer case, and uh, yeah, it's I, there again for another episode, but I've got some, some good plans for it, and uh, I look forward to having that one run, and there again, it's just awesome looking and hyper unique i mean and it's british it's british so kevin used the word european but like me personally well, but i was talking about german cars i know i i am much more of a british oh, car yeah. fanatic was where i was going with you, that you're not part of you know what yeah I, or you are part of brexit yeah <laughs> no yeah i support brexit <laughs> um like the joke about you know how do you tell if someone runs a marathon just wait five minutes they'll tell you that's kind of me with british cars is <laughs> it's like if cars come up I'll, I'll mention british cars within like the first 30 seconds because i just find them so fascinating um let's see the gt6 so let's talk about a german car now that you're so obsessed with british okay. cars i do have one german car <laughs> i have a 1957 bmw iz 300 um it's in project shape um, so the Land Rover's behind us. Yeah, you might be well able to see The Isetta is kind Isetta. of off over on my left side there. If we go to the wide-angle shot, you could probably see it. But um, the motor's actually been rebuilt. Like, I I got it from my wife's uncle. We had talked about restoring it for a while. Um, I mean, there again, that, that could be an episode in and of itself. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it. I've had it running. Um, I do have a video of the engine running. 
Um, there again, it's just kind of waiting in the wings. Um, 65 CJ5. It was originally a DJ5. I tell people it's a CJ5, but it's a DJ5. It's an old male Jeep that's been converted to left-hand drive and four-wheel drive. And uh, we it's made There's a YouTube video about YouTube it. Video. Yep. Um, and it's pretty much stock. I'm trying to think what else. I have access to a 78 MG that's kind of a barn find. Uh, midget, another little British car. Um, I am trying to think what so, else. So give me your quickie plan with the Isetta. What what do you foresee? Oh, so I it has evolved in the la in recent months, but the thing is so small. I have enough original parts that it could be semi restored, but they're obscure enough. I elevator pitch for the plan. Yeah. Knock out a quick you, a quick tube chassis for it. Um, I have a, access to another Isetta front end, like front suspension and everything. Build a second chassis. Uh, tube chassis, motorcycle engine, like 250 to 500 cc, like something with some oomph. Um, maybe put it on some like baby pneumatic cylinders or airbags, give it some stance. That'd be cool. <laughs> and uh, like just a Lexan windshield in it. I mean, there's no glass. And really, if I do that, I'm not modifying the body at all. I could finish the bodywork, get it painted, slip it onto the sport chassis, run it around for a few years, and then if I ever wanted to make it, like, fully restored, I still have the original chassis and drivetrain. That could easily be done in, you know, a couple of weeks, and then it would be uh, an original example again. That'd be, that'd be cool. So I'd that's be kind to... of what I'm thinking, because honestly, I think that's the quickest way from point a to b would be to just do that and like really the chassis is only like you know maybe four feet long and three feet wide yeah. so it's not like i mean i could hang it from the wall in the garage with the motor on it and joe, joe thinks we should do go. an episode in the izetta but i don't know if i'm it, i'm gonna take up the izetta by myself joe's gonna have to sit on my lap yeah that'd make an awkward episode <laughs> it could be fun though um but yeah it's, it's definitely a neat little car i mean they're so teeny and obscure there again it's such an oddball car yeah. that like Really didn't see one driving around would blow your yep. mind. Any any way you slice it and have that go down the road would just be fun to see yeah. people's reaction. And you know, back to the, the people's reaction thing. Um the iteration number two, number one with the Spitfire, it had like a little hood scoop on it and a side pipe and a roll bar and um we'd cut the front bumper up so it just had two horns. And I would get, like, 10-year-old kids yelling at me all the time, hey, is that a cobra? And it's like, no, it's most definitely not a cobra. But it was just funny to see, like, the, the almost a look of bewilderment on people's faces when they saw it. You, because should, you should drive around in the no problemo sometime. That's true, yes. <laughs> that, uh, but, yeah, I think that's the roster. So I got the Jeep, the Land Rover, GT6, Spitfire. We're going to count the Midget, the Isetta. And I am... I think that's it. Yeah, and if we could go, we went down the road of, of Joe's dad. That's a, a roster twice that long. But yes. so the other thing, I mean, we talked a little bit about the Volkswagen because that's where we were in last week. But we have that, right? That yes. early 70s Volkswagen notchback. My plan with that, or squareback, sorry. My plan with that would be, so right now we figure the torsion bars have been cranked up in the back to their maximum amount. Yep. There's not an engine in it, but like I can stand on the back of it and jump. And, and literally just, it doesn't happen. move. It is solid. Um, there's also been, I don't know, the Volkswagen people may know the correct term, but uh, like some form of body, body lift, lift. Right. Yeah. Like between the floor pan and the body, there's a, like like a, a two-inch spacer. Yeah. yeah. So I'm in the process of taking that out. I want to get it back down yes. and just put it down as, as low as I can. I've been doing a little bit of research on 
airbags on them. Um, I, we I could get creative with. I uh, think we could do that. Cooking something. Some on. cool wheels, and I would keep the patina on it. You know, maybe maybe rough up. You know, some of the rough spots, and kind of, and then maybe do like a flat clear coat on it. Throw some wheels on it. Um, mm. We've engines been a conversation with us. Yes. Uh, you know, we we're both pretty set on throwing like a ZTEC Duratec yes. engine in there. Um, and I, again, you're not looking huge horsepower, but that car, there's and rarely are you going to see yes. a Volkswagen Type 3 with a stupid amount of horsepower, but like we want it drivable. Like yes. that's the other thing that's big between me and Joe is we want to be able to drive these cars. Like even if Usable, we had an unlimited yeah. budget, right, to have a car that's worth six digits and sits in the garage until you take the car show. It's no fun. It's not fun. Yeah. To us, that's, I mean, that's the biggest thing is to have something you can go out and drive. And if some kid walks up and bumps into it. And scratches the paint. It's not the end you know, of the world. Yeah, you're not have to kill a kid. I mean, nobody wants that. So, and, and that's a, a beautiful point that you bring up, and it's one of my go-to rants, automotively speaking, is like with the Volkswagen, and we're going to circle back to the Spitfire because that's all I can seem to talk about <laughs> anymore, is like a power-to-weight ratio, right? Like when I was doing research in the last motor swap or the current motor swap in the Spitfire, um, I had all these people tell me, oh, put a V8 in it, put a V8 in it, put a V8 in it. And it's like, why? Well, it's this, you know, I'm not going to use the word Neanderthal. We'll say antiquated mentality of like, there's no replacement for displacement. Well, in that square back, a Spitfire, even this GT6 we're sitting right. in, you're talking like a 1,500 pound car. Right. Like you get 100 horsepower in this thing, it's going to be more fun than you can handle. You get over 100 horsepower out of this thing, like it would actually, you know, maybe stick up for itself a little bit. And so, like with the Spitfire, I put a, like a, it's a, it's a Pinto motor is what it is. It's a 93 Mustang four-cylinder. It's all fuel injected, but if I get like 120 to 150 horsepower out of it, that will probably be on yeah, the threshold a... of like rowdy, rowdy. Well, and um, so it was, what was it, a Hoonigan episode? I think I told you at one point that they made the yes. statement of it's more fun to drive a low horsepower car at the top end. At its limit. It is, yeah, at its limit than to drive a high horsepower car gently yeah. around the roads, you know. If you're in, in a car rallying around and you're still only doing oh, yeah. 40 miles an hour, but like you're just giving it everything oh, yeah. it's got, and there's, there's, there's a lot more fun to that. A perspective um, anomaly, we'll call it, with some of these cars too, where you sit so low to the ground and the car itself is so small, like 30 miles an hour does feel like 60. I mean, yeah, and it it's you know you're slamming through gears up and down, and it's it's a riot, and that's I think something that Kevin and I have have both agreed on since day one is um that aspect of it is it's smiles per gallon right like, right you know stuff like this is meant to be enjoyed not to be observed i guess or yeah. hoarded uh, not even hoarded just because hoarding you know, is what we do we do hoard um but yeah i mean that's that's kind of it and i totally love the mentality of the you know not making it a ten thousand dollar paint job and just you know Enjoying it. Right. Like making it nice. And another is they don't drive around a rattly, rusty feet falling through yeah. the floor, but you can still make it nice without making it over the top and you don't want people near it because yes. they might breathe wrong on it. And people like us with kids, uh, both yeah. from a, a budgetary standpoint and a survivability of said <laughs> old car standpoint, you can't have, you know, nice things with kids. Anyway. Um, so I think it was probably once the Scout got to the point where. I was fed up with it. I went through a phase where I decided I wanted a car that was fun to drive and that didn't have to have a lot of work because I had thrown so much money and so much work at the Scout. So there's this dark time in my life 
Yeah. When I had an 85 and oh. a half yes, Porsche 944. I, I totally forgot about this. So yeah. I don't know if that fits into the project car realm because I did drive it home. It did need work. I, I think it does. It only shifted into the, the odd number gears. One, yes. three. No. I had to start in second. It was two and four it shifted into. One, three, five were gone. But it was just a, a simple adjustment. So here's a great example of picking a project car. I had a, uh, an oh, what were years? Oh, like an 05 Suzuki 450 dirt bike, right? Thing was maybe worth 1500 bucks so to yeah. like the right guy. I traded that for the Porsche and the kid gave me 500 bucks. So, and it didn't shift, right? Well, I did a little bit of research. It was a, like a linkage problem. I adjusted the linkage. I drove the car around. Um, if you've ever owned a 944, you're either one of two ways. You really like them and you love that they're a 50-50 weight distribution and they're the best thing ever made. Yeah. Or you're like me and it's like the most underwhelming vehicle you've ever driven. Like once that thing was running, I was so, so disappointed See, in the I, car. I got to admit, it looked good sitting there. It did. It looked pretty good. There was a few but, things. I wanted to change the front bumper. There's a few. There was. There, I had plans for it, but like as I drove it, you can tell the car, the transmission, the, the gearing, whatever, it was... It would you sixty miles an hour on, a, on the freeway. You're doing like four thousand RPM. Like it didn't. It wasn't meant for highway yeah. freeway driving, right? Which yeah. I was trying to drive it back and forth to work on, which is basically like five miles of freeway driving. Yeah. Um, and the my car, somebody had been through it. There was definitely some motor work done. Somebody had taken it apart. There's the motor is painted. Um, it had like an aftermarket bits on the motor. But it, somebody had taken the sway bars off too, which I don't understand. So I, I think I probably had a bad experience with them. But I did have that. And so I, I had that. And popping the hood, looking under the hood, I'm not a fan of 80s cars, like in general. Yeah. Like other than the 80, early 80s Bronco, like because I had one and I lived in one growing up. Like, you know, I have a special part in my heart for that. But like yeah. I hate 80s Chevys. Like <laughs> I hate square and I hate box bodies. And I just have this like disdain for them for no uh, no apparent reason right and I looking under the hood age well like the vacuum lines the plastic like I right that's the thing i looked under the hood of that what? they just don't age well under the hood of that porsche like there was just it just i just felt like there was vacuum lines and hoses and crap and i like yep. i didn't have a desire to work on it. i'm just like oh that looks like such a pain in the butt yes. so i ended up selling it made some money on it so like whoa i'm good and so then i had that going mentality of like okay well, let's try that again and that's when i got the bmw which was a 95 yes. 540i and that thing honestly popping the hood looking into that like that engine looked a lot more friendly like it was more yeah. like okay i'll work on this and i did work on it and it needed more work than the porsche did and i did a little work on it and i really liked driving it um but at the end of the day like i had bought that car to flip and it was i didn't have room for it i knew i didn't yeah. have room for it like i really 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 wanted to Struggle keep it with the emotional attachment it, yeah that was one that like the insurer down the road it'll be the one that got away right because yeah. my quick rant here like it was the 540i it had the winter package it had a limited slip it had this the m sport suspension package on it it had heated seats adjustable seats like it had every option you could have to being shy of an actual m5 car right it was like the top of the line five series of that year range um, and, and it broke my heart to sell it, but like at the end of the day, I, I didn't have room for it. We had gotten it for cheap. It was yeah. strictly to make money to, to be able to fund this Other endeavor, things. right? Yeah. The whole project here's endeavor, like to get money into the account and to get be able to do fun things for the project here's with our other projects. Like that was the whole purpose of that car. Yep. Um, 
but I'm sure, like, to this day, it's one I miss. And, like, well, and my I, brother put it really well. It's, if you've never driven a BMW, like, when people, like, on Top Gear, they always talk about it's, it's, it's sophistication and class meets sportiness all in yeah. one. And it is, because, like, as you drive down the road, okay, granted that, that my Porsche was 10 years older, but, like, it, it felt like a sporty car. It was stiff. It was, you know, it wasn't comfortable to cruise around in, but it was a sporty car. So what? The BMW was a nice ride when you're driving down the road. And if you want to get crazy with it, like it had enough horsepower and like you it cornered flat and it was surprising for the size of car that it was. And so that was not an underwhelming car to me. Like, so if you yeah. have the option of buying a 944 or a 5 Series, go for the 5 Series. Yeah. There yeah. you go. That's, that's my advice. <laughs> that's my advice. Other than that, I think that's probably about all yeah. of my... Spider. Like, <laughs> all, all of my actual project cars that can so, be classified like that unless you want to get into the probe, which I wouldn't classify as a project car. I would classify it's that. It's a race as, car. It's a gambler car. That's the, <laughs> that's the definition. It's a gambler 500 car. That it, could be an episode. I'll, that like five that, episodes yeah. of itself. But I, I don't consider that a project car. Like, it's just, so, it never was. Other than something you drove in high school, was there ever a point in your adult life where you drove a project car regularly <laughs> no i don't think so <laughs> i see because my friend like like i said the scout was my next one after i yeah i'd sold i'd sold the Le Mans. i bought my magnum because i needed a reliable car because my wife yeah. lived hours away and i was trying to commute and i didn't want to borrow my mom's car anymore and so like i bought that and the Le Mans sat there forever and sold it we got married and like okay i'm ready for another project car like i have a house I have a garage i need a project it's time and it was the yeah. scout and i went like freaking Full into All it, in. and and then it's not done. Yeah. Cry tear. See, I always like gravitated towards other projects. I've only ever had one project car that I actually drove. <laughs> See, and because like I had the Spitfire I was building, and I bought a second Spitfire, and had it on the road <laughs> for like two years. See, so that's how you do. Just buy up a backup. Uh, yeah, buy a backup. And that that was an interesting experience driving an old car every day. I only drove it for the summer couple summers but like, yeah, i would drive it to work every day um and it was all stock and kind of clapped out but it definitely lost its luster so my, my brother's got a 67 cougar and and i drove that on and off here and there but i don't know if he bought that running drive my him and my dad put a lot of work into it. i mean they, they painted it yeah my, my dad used to do paint on the side he's painted a lot of our vehicles but um he they painted it they you know and it's right now is going through a restoration again um, it's been sitting in my brother's garage for probably 10, 15 years. Um, and probably 10, but anyway, it's, my dad's revived it. You know, they put a, a, a bigger motor, they put a five O in it and, you know, did disc brake conversion. He's redoing, working on the interior. He's replaced floor pans, probably going to paint it again. Um, which, you know, I hope to get out there with a the camera at one point and, and get a little more. Yeah. We put a few pictures of it on our Instagram, um, but so that's a car that I guess you could say I drove that was a bit of a project car, not my yeah. project car. Um, but that was fun. I mean, that was a fun car to cruise around in. I was a, a jerk in it. That's the <laughs> thing about. That's the funny thing. My brother brings this up a lot about V8 classic V8 cars, like especially stock ones. Like that had yeah. a 289. My Le Mans had a 350. Like the horsepower. My brother has a really good explanation of like the horsepower output in the Cougar. Is the same as his his family has a Kia Sorento, yeah, like crossover four cylinder, 
And the horsepower output's the exact same between those two cars. Oh, like perfect example. Like, like half the motor, same horsepower, better gas mileage. Like the old Rover, like looking at the 289 and that. And it's like, well, I could put like a turbo Pinto motor in it and have the same horsepower. <laughs> half the weight, same horsepower. Or an EcoBoost. Huh? <laughs> yeah, but, uh, so so that, I mean, that's a rundown. That's your, that yeah. complete the list? That's a rundown I, of I think uh, so. our current projects. Yes. Um, um I, th- I think we both kind of decided we need to work on our current projects rather than keep acquiring things. As yeah, much, we, as we much did. Fun as it is. I ran out of space, I and did, then yeah, Joe yeah. decided to move far away, so I can't abuse his space anymore. Well, now we're mm-hmm. now I'm abusing. Oh, my the Tacoma space. is that a project vehicle? That, well, yeah, I mean it's newer, but it is I guess technically a it was a, a rebuilt wreck. So so here's the last thing, quickie rundown, the biggest project you've done, Joe, that didn't belong to you, what you learned from that, and what was it? Oh, I know what it was. I know what I'm thinking of anyway. Maybe I'm wrong, but it recently left your life. Yeah, it'd be the van. <laughs> um, what was that? It was a 1963 Econoline van. And it was something you were doing for I, another person. Yes. It's um, a build that, that you did. I, yeah, I had 1% I mean, effort in and you had 99% <laughs> effort in. Facts. So it, <laughs> I don't know. I, I took on the project, you know, in hopes of cultivating more project essentially like you know get it out there with you know some of my handiwork on it and and that was kind of the conversation i had with the, the individual we put it together for or i put it together for however you want to phrase you can it. say we i, I think i sanded um, some things put but, a shock um, on. you know i think probably the biggest thing i learned from that um life changed a lot right. after i took that project on and i think that's been the probably the biggest pitfall to most of my project cars has been not expecting the unexpected and like i always shoot myself in the foot from a timeline standpoint i always look at a project and go i could do that next amount of time yeah and it's it's always a hundred times more than that but that one i i don't know the probably the thing i learned the most is i try very hard not to be a overconfident person and i think even with that I should have been far more conservative in my approach to it. As weird as that sounds. Because, like, out the gate, I was like, oh, yeah, I can do that. Like, I understand the concepts. Have I done that exact thing? No. But I got time. I got whatever. And then a lot of changes occurred, which slowed it down. And instead of buckling down and just slamming it out, I let other things slow me down on getting the project done. Uh, Probably the biggest thing that I learned from it was more about I'm trying to think. Not getting caught up in one's self-doubt. Honestly. That's the scout. That's, there I mean, was, that's my scout, right? I, I have done lots of crazy things in, like, fabrication welding and automotive stuff. And I was surprised at how many times I kept second-guessing myself or just almost coming to a standstill because... I just couldn't quite nudge myself over the ledge to just make it happen. I really think that was that's probably the thing I learned the most is kind of the commit or quit thing, right? Like I had a hundred pages of sketches and diagrams that I'd cooked up on how I was going to do it, and I just kept like overthinking it and doubting. Anyway, so without uh, beating that one up too much. I mean, it was like, uh, I mean, it was a pretty involved project. I took a 70s, mid-70s Mustang II, um, and 
pretty much cut the entire drivetrain suspension and everything out and then grafted it up under this Econoline and there again being too conservative I should have cut like the whole floor out of the car from the get-go and just started from scratch but I kept well I don't want to cut too much out and I just kept pussyfooting around and I think like as far as like man hours it definitely cost me a lot more time and it kind of built me into more constraints as far as just having total creative freedom and it was all self-inhibitive um, but it did the motor swap and modified a bunch of stuff on it and um, the guy was super great to work with like if he ever hears this I hope that he <laughs> you know he knows that like I definitely appreciate his patience with me because I mean it, it did take a while to do and and I hope he's happy with the work but like just that like the fact that no single part bolted on it almost just became inundating after a while like it was like it would just be nice to like pull something out of a box and bolt it on hmm. everything had to be yeah you know test fit and designed and fabricated and re-engineered and then fit up and make sure it's going to work okay now i can finalize it oh wait there's five more parts that need to interact with this so now i've got to do that process five times before i can lock anything down permanently and trying to do that by yourself on the side in your garage while you've got a full-time job a part-time job a family and other obligations like it it was a lot um i did not realize the stress level that i had allowed it to grow to and i, I would say that's probably the biggest project i think it was a i think i was like four or five years from when i the Mustang showed up in my driveway for me to tear it down until the van left my driveway. Um, and it was. Like, I, there would be times I'd go out there and just stare at it and get, like, overwhelmed and frustrated. And, like, I just couldn't kick myself in the butt That's, to make it happen. I, th I think if I went back and did the Scout, the mentality I have now versus what I when I started the Scout. Like, I, I dove way in, like you're saying, with the Scout. Like, I, for me, my ability, like, I dove way in too far too fast. If I would have built it in stages yes. and kept it drivable. Yep. The hard thing with the Scout is the engine needed to be redone, the axles needed to be redone. Like, it didn't have anything worth keeping on it, so well, like, it, it makes needed it, to be it, done, but... It makes it tough because stuff comes apart real easy. But and I, so you just... Yeah, there, right. Okay, it's let's easy let's to go, tear yeah. down. So I think I think my advice would be for myself and for anybody in the project world would be build it in phases so that you can drive it from time to time and you can keep that well, love of the vehicle going and that motivation to like do something new to it. Yeah, I would um, say without and, getting too far into it that you're just like, oh, screw this thing, I'm done thinking about it. You know, coming up with like manageable milestones too. Yeah, and I think that's back to the van. I think that's something that that really just overwhelmed me was. You couldn't gain a yard unless you moved the entire field a yard. Right. And so it did become very difficult to gain yardage, um, proverbially speaking. Like with the Spitfire, that's kind of been my newer approach with it is, okay, like if I get the brakes done, like the brakes are done. And it's, you know, how do you eat an, ele how do you eat an elephant? Right. You know, one bite at a time. And I think... Um, Oh, excuse me. Also, from like a, you know, if a project car is your first endeavor, um, a lot of times taking it a piece at a time, it helps mitigate being overwhelmed, but also, you know, trying to keep the, the monetary and time aspect under control. Um, I'm a huge believer in the fact that everything boils down to time or money. Like, <laughs> you're going to have to spend one or the other. So. Yeah, or both. Or both.
Okay, well there you go. That's a rundown of our current projects and a little bit of our past projects. Yeah, got so, a little ranty there. Sorry, don't no, you, yeah. Yeah, that's what we do. So yeah. thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, feel free to follow us on all of the social media things: the Facebook, yeah. the Instagram, the YouTube. It's all at the Project Tears, um, and share your projects with us. Yeah. We want to see other people's stuff. And if you got something cool and you're in the Utah area and you want to talk to us about it, we hit would. us up. Yeah, we would love to start. Uh, you can be on our podcast or on our YouTube channel. Branching out. Or something. Visiting those. You can work on our stuff for us. Yes. My stuff. Joe won't let you touch his stuff. What? I don't know. I made that up. Oh, okay. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>